0: Well, this is my final sermon here at Covenant. I I don't, I don't know what that means. Um, At least it means for you that this is the shortest sermon you will hear for a while. Sorry guys. So enjoy it while you can. In my very first sermon here eight years ago, Fresh out of seminary and painfully aware of how young and inexperienced, naive that I was at the time, I quoted uh, the theologian Helmut uh, Tielecki, who observed that there is a gap between the young pastor's actual spiritual growth and what he knows intellectually. All of you are like, yeah, we know. (laughs) He went on, he has been fitted, so to speak, like a young boy with britches that are too big into which he must grow up into the long trousers of the Christian faith. Meanwhile, they hang loosely around his body, and this ludicrous sight, of course, is not beautiful." (laughs) In other words, I know it hasn't always been pretty, but I do want to thank you this morning uh, for your patience, and your generosity, and your grace. Uh, I was telling Jill that it's been a privilege to serve as Covenant's longest-serving male associate pastors. (laughs) I'm going to take that record with me. Seriously, I I love this church, and I will miss you all. Um, Last week, Thomas began a series, this rekindle series, focused on these central practices that we have practiced Together over the the years uh, of solitude, community, and service. And we're kind of rooting this series in just a single passage, this Pentecost passage from the book of Acts. And today I just want to share a few reflections on the practice of Christian community from, from this passage. So I invite you now to listen for the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, And visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable our rock and our redeemer amen in may of this year you might have seen it the u.s surgeon general declared that loneliness is now uh, an epidemic adding that even before the onset of the pandemic approximately half of u.s adults reported experiencing measurable levels of loneliness which is a staggering statistic and so it's no wonder that in my job I often hear people tell me that they're looking for community it's one of the main reasons people come to church maybe that's true for you right now maybe you are looking for community maybe um, you're even here today because of that desire there was an article uh, just a few weeks ago in the Washington Post that was written by someone who was aching for community. He told a, a familiar story. He grew up in the church and he left when he was a young adult and then he had come, kind of come back and he was looking for something. He was a young parent um, and he was looking for a church that he and his daughter could belong to, but he couldn't bring himself to commit to any of the churches that that he visited. Uh, some of these churches were too political, others uh, weren't political enough. Some were uh, too intense, theologically, and others lacked uh, diversity. The conservative churches talked about God too much, and the liberal churches didn't have enough programs for him and his daughter. You get the idea, right? What began as an expression of loneliness ended up uh, as a demand for a community to fit a very narrow and specific and exact set of personal preferences. One commenter on social media summarized the article like this. I want a church where I'm not required to believe anything, not expected to attend, don't want my life changed, will never hear anything that challenges me, and I'm never asked for money. <laughs> to which he responds, Sir, you were talking about a library. <laughs> There's one just down the street. One of my mentors in seminary began a class on church leadership by asking each of us to write down the qualities of church that we most uh, desired. What would be our dream church? So we each took out a piece of paper and eagerly scribbled down all of the things that we could imagine a dream church consisting of. And then he invited us to share them out loud with each other. And so we did. We named things like mission-oriented or diverse, generous, uh, prayerful, filled with uh, young families and older members who can embrace change, and so on and so forth. And after listening to us describe these dream churches for a little while, much to our surprise, he told us to rip up our pieces of paper and throw them in the garbage. Super inspiring stuff from this guy. His point was that the ideal community doesn't exist. These dream churches won't exist. And if you take that dream into a church, if you take that dream into a community, it will burden the community with that dream. And what will happen is that you won't actually accept the people who are there, the community that's actually there. It's safe to say that the early Christian community was not an ideal community. Luke tells us that they didn't even speak the same language. They were from everywhere. And yet, by the power of the Holy Spirit, this crowd of strangers ended up becoming a community that literally changed the world, literally altered the course of history. It's why we're sitting here today. The small group that I've had a privilege of being a part of for the last eight years is now a tight group of friends that have gone through life together. But it wasn't always that way. Uh, I remember, and I'm not gonna name names here, um, I remember our first meeting being pretty awkward. We met in the first floor of the FEB building and under those fluorescent lights and a kind of room temperature cheese board, I wondered, (laughs) I wondered how God might bring this group of people together. Somehow he did. And throughout the years, we have listened to each other. We've sat in hospital rooms together. We've prayed for each other's children. And we've supported each other through major transitions. And I think one reason that we became so close is that early on, we made the commitment not to meet unless all of us could meet. And except for a few emergencies here and there, we've maintained that level of commitment and we're not the only group for whom this is true I mean part of the joy of my job is I get to see the context of how people build community here and the people that I've seen form authentic long-lasting relationships in this church didn't just stumble into them one day the truth is that community isn't something you look for and find it's something you build And it takes time and intentionality to invest in relationships with people. Uh, You have to just kind of keep showing up over and over and over again. And you can do this in a lot of different ways, right? It doesn't have to just be a small group or a Bible study. I've seen people build community at this church by sitting in the same seats week after week, drinking church coffee afterwards on the patio. That's a form of showing up over and over again. And no group of people will be ideal. This is not an ideal church. It's not a dream church. It's not a perfect church. In our early days of convening small groups, we used to tell people um, in conversation not to hog, bog, or fog the conversation. And then we would add, if you don't know anyone doing this, that's because it's probably you. (laughs) To be in community, you have to tolerate things and people that bother you. You have to... Um, you might discover that you are the one bothering other people and that you need to change. You might be asked to be present in a difficult circumstance and only after years of doing these things do you look back and realize that you have built a community. So if you're here today looking for community, if that's how you would phrase it, the truth is I don't know if you will find it here, but I am certain that you can build it, I've seen it. Christian community though, according to Acts, is about more than just escaping our loneliness. We need community to understand what God is saying. Every once in a while, and you might have experienced this, God speaks in that still, (laughs) small voice of your conscience. But I think most of the time, God speaks through other people so what God's voice sounds like is the voice of close friends, mentors, strangers, even children. What do we say when somebody really gets us? We say they're speaking our language. What do we say when uh, we listen to a piece of music or we watch a film or see a piece of art that kind of speaks right to where we live? We say that really spoke to me. Well, that's exactly what the people in this story say, they say, they're amazed that these people are speaking my language. And that is the gift of Christian community. What all those different people heard in their own language on the very first Pentecost is the very thing that we still need to hear today, over and over again. And that is the news of God's power and God's grace for us personally, not just generally, but for us personally. And each of us needs to hear it in a way that we can personally relate to. We need someone to speak our language. I imagine that at some point in your life, someone translated God's grace for you. Maybe now it's your turn. A few years ago, I preached a sermon on friendship that I'm sure you all remember. The text was the story of the group of friends lowering their friend down the roof to Jesus to be healed. And after worship, someone stopped me on the patio and told me that it was the first sermon that they had ever heard on friendship. And I thought, how could that be? That doesn't make any sense. We talk about community all the time. And later what I realized is that we probably use the word community when we mean friendship. We should just say friendship. Andy Crouch, uh, who is a public Christian leader and author, says he's part of a group of friends that call themselves the eulogists. Just think about that for a second. (laughs) The hope is that they will know and love each other so well and for so long that they will be able to give a genuine, honest, and complete account of one another's lives at their funerals. All except for one, one of them, I guess. That's a dark joke for (laughs) 1055. But they also, he says, they also aim to hold one another accountable to lives that would be worth a eulogy. And so my question for you this morning, and I don't mean it to be overly dark, is do you know who your eulogists are? Do you know who they will be? And don't spend too much time thinking about it. That is not a question that you want to spend 15 minutes thinking about you almost immediately know. They come to your mind quickly. And if your mind's drawing a blank, maybe take that this morning as an invitation to begin today to build those kinds of friendships. Before I close, I just wanna draw attention to a small but powerful ingredient to Christian community that I think is often overlooked, especially in this passage. One of the themes of the first few chapters of the book of Acts, if you read it, is awe. It's awe. Twice in the passage that I read just this morning, Luke tells us that they were amazed. They were astonished. And this continues throughout. Awe shows up time and time again in response to what God is doing to this new community. And I think it's probably a thing more than anything else that characterized their life together was awe. Father Greg Boyle is a a Jesuit priest who started uh, an organization called Homeboy Industries. Maybe you've heard of it. It's the largest gang rehabilitation organization in the world. And uh, he describes their community, their organization, as a community of tenderness, where they stand in awe of what each other carry, rather than in judgment of how they carry it. They stand in awe of what each other carry, rather than in judgment of how they carry it. He recalls an encounter with a woman who insisted on volunteering with their organization. And when he asked her, why do you want to volunteer? She said, I have a message that these young people need to hear. And he said, the minute you lose that message, come back to us. I think one of the reasons that community or friendship is so difficult right now, it's so hard to come by, is that we're living in a particularly judgmental age. An age of confrontation is how I describe it. And judgment keeps us from the truth of who we are by focusing our attention on everybody else, how everybody else is wrong. Like the woman who wanted to volunteer with Homeboy, most of our attention goes to the problems out there, the problems with other people. It's awe that keeps us from this judgment. Awe of the complexities of other people's lives and of their stories, and certainly, like this early community, awe of God's mercy for ourselves. If you read the rest of Acts, you'll find that things went badly for the church when they lost the sense of awe. We're living through an epidemic of loneliness in an age of judgment. Not great conditions, not great conditions. The cultural forces that keep us from each other, I think, are maybe stronger than they've ever been, at least in our lifetimes. But in the goodness and grace of God, my friends, it is never too late, and it is never too dire. Covenant is not an ideal church. It's not a dream church. It's not a perfect church. It's flawed like every other community I've ever been a part of. But if we can learn to stand in awe of God's grace together. And if we can learn to translate that grace for one another, to speak each other's language, maybe we just might live lives worthy of the eulogies one day offered for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.